Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. So I'm joined today by Thomas Pembroke, who is a long-distance swimmer. He recently competed, uh, rather completed the final swim in the Ocean 7 Challenge, becoming the second Australian to ever complete this list, the 13th ever, and the youngest person to ever complete it. So uh, welcome to the show today, Tom. Thank you for that nice introduction, Dave. You're welcome. Now, I know uh, we'll get to kind of where you're at and what you're doing these days, but one of the questions that I like to ask, just to get a bit of a sense of, of where you've come from, think back to when you were a little kid, and what did you want to be when you grew up? I think what I always wanted to be, I think I had an absolute love of sport when I was younger and I, I think initially I always wanted to be a rugby league player when I was really younger. I had a massive fascination with the North Sydney Bears and I grew up just about maybe 10 minutes from North Sydney Oval and I used to watch them every Saturday with Dad and I just I was in love with the Bears. And so I think from a young age I always wanted to be doing something to do with sport but I think as I got older... I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to become and I probably still don't know exactly what I want to do, but sport was definitely a massive interest of mine. Fantastic. Well, yeah, when I work out what I want to do when I grow up, I'll let you know as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so tell us, what's your day job now? Uh, At the moment, actually, I'm working in a pub in Armidale. So I'm a manager of a a pub called The White Bull that my, my uncle owns and I work there pretty much full time whilst studying law. Okay. And what are you studying? Uh, I'm studying I'm in my last year of a law degree. Okay. Yeah. Oh, whilst also doing some part-time teaching work as well. So I've kind of like balancing in between doing a few days of the week as a casual teacher and then at the night at a, at a pub. And so what was the, um, yeah, because having already gone through uni and started working as a teacher, what was the impetus to go back and study law? Well, it's actually not a great story, to be completely honest with you. I got in trouble a few years ago with possession of cocaine when I was, yeah, two or three years ago, and basically everything that I'd kind of worked hard on. And the fact that I'd done these swims and got slight recognition when I went to court and I was given a good behaviour bond, there was a story written about me on the, I think it was like the back, not the back page of the Daily Telegraph, but it was like the third or fourth back page. And basically my life came kind of, basically down in an instant and I needed to kind of work out what I needed to do. And I think for me at the time, I needed to get out of Sydney and I needed to go back to study and I needed to kind of, I needed a change. And yeah, and so that's kind of what got me into Armidale and got me into law and got me into a pub and and kind of got me away from Sydney. Oh, wow. That's um, that's a hell of a story. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I read, uh, I read one of your or the, the extract from one of your talks that you'd given up at um, the university there and you said, yeah, I'm, I think you started out saying, I'm the, I'm the person that gets called in when none of the real sports people are able to, to come and speak. But um, you, know, you were talking about how you got into endurance swimming as well and it sounds like you went through a similar sort of personal crisis to before you actually started doing that. Is that a fair comment? Uh, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that I've obviously gone over in my life and kind of thought about many, many times because it's kind of a really, really 
kind of embarrassing and thing to go through and it's also kind of a very confronting thing to go through when you've been a role model at a school and everyone looks up to you because of something that you're doing and then all of a sudden that comes crashing down and you can't even you can't speak to your students that you once had you just kind of leave the school because it was in the holidays and you just kind of get isolated from that without being able to kind of say sorry or just be able to go out on your own terms so it was very something very very difficult for me and and I've always been very very honest with myself but I don't think personal crisis would be a way of defining it. I think when I was younger, I went through school and I was at Joey's, a, boarding, a leading kind of private boarding school in Sydney. And I was really fortunate to be around people that kind of demanded success or we always had a policy of, you know, there was never a school captain at the school and it was always like, I think one of our school things was don't treat life with mediocrity. So it was always trying to do your best. And it was something that I really thrived on. And then when I left school, I mean, at school, I played in the first rugby with Kirtley Beale and a few other Wallabies. And then I went and I got 90 in the HSC. And I thought, you know, that was all, that was what I tried seven years to do. And then once I'd done it or did it, I kind of went to university and was slack and was enjoying partying and was going out. And I didn't have a lot of motivation until I kind of maybe was four or five years out of school. And I realized, God, I hadn't really done anything. I just scraped through a university degree and I wanted to push myself and I think the English Channel came up as something that I thought I could do because I was a good swimmer at school and I'd always been good with cold weather and uh, and that was really it. It was that kind of – and I remember Dad saying – I said to Dad I could do it and he just said, well, why don't you do it? And and that's what kind of got me stuck into – into well, was my first kind of idea about taking on uh, a swimming challenge. So how did that first one go? I couldn't speak for anybody else, but I'd be very surprised if anyone had disrespected the English Channel as, as much as I had possibly at that particular time. <laughs> like, quite honestly, if, if someone was to say, how much did you train for it? I would say that I trained maybe three weeks before the swim. I trained four or five times a week and I trained in really, really cold water. I remember I'd moved to England because I wanted to teach there for a year and with the bigger goal of attempting the English Channel. But I realised that I'd moved to a place called Southampton that wasn't actually a beach town. It was a port town. It was actually where the Titanic had taken off from. But there was nowhere to swim there except for a 25-metre pool in which I was swimming with people that didn't know how to swim and there was no way to actually practice swimming. And so the only time I could get away was when there was school holidays and I would go to sunny parts of England uh, or beach coastal towns in England and I would swim for an hour or so a day because before it was summer, it would be 10 degrees and that would be the coldest. You just couldn't swim in the water for longer than an hour at 10 degrees unless you've done it for a long time or you have a real, you're a bit bigger than I am because it's just impossible to swim at 10 degrees for longer than an hour. Um, and so that's what I did for three three or so weeks. I, before the English Channel, when it was warming up, I would go down to, oh, I can't remember what the place, but Basingstoke or something on the water. I can't remember the actual town. And I would swim for an hour and then I would get out and then I would do it every day for, I think, like 20 days or something like that. And that was the only real training I did before the English Channel. And so you were, swim, you were training for an hour a day and how long did the crossing actually take? Well, the crossing actually took 15 hours, 14 hours and 59 minutes. And wow. I remember being in the and, – and I wouldn't have made it had it not been for the perfect conditions. It was the, probably the only swim I've been on where the conditions were perfect and I was so far from perfect and I had so many things that basically 
affected me during that swim. Like I got sick, I got stung. I threw up because I didn't realize that I was going to get nauseous from the chop. A lot of the big boats that would come past would let off their sewage tanks that like, because they hate swimmers doing the channel swim. And so it was just, it was probably the most traumatic and, and most difficult thing I've ever done. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't prepared, prepared and um, like when we got down there, Dad always tells this story really well. Like the, we got down to the boat and the first thing said the captain said is, do you guys have your passports? And Dad's like, no. So Dad ran back to the hotel and got the passports. And then Dad's like, do you have a coach? And he's like, no. And then like, did, have you guys done a six-hour swim? And I luckily butted in and said yes because I'd forged the documents because you can't actually do the English Channel unless you've said you've done a six-hour practice swim which I hadn't done. And then they're like, do you have your night lights? Because we're starting at 4 a.m. I had no night lights. And then they said, did you bring food? And I brought food for myself, but dad and mum were on the boat for 15 hours and I told them that, that food would be provided. So there was no food there. So basically it was just showing you really what what my mindset was at that time. I was just like, look, I can do this swim because I know I can do it. But I had no respect for what was actually involved. I just thought this was a swim in which you hop in the water and you swim to the other side. And I got a rude, rude shock. And so how did you actually get through then, considering it was so different from what you were expecting? Well, I was a good swimmer. So the first two or three hours, which I had swum before, I had done swims that were like two or three hours when I was in England. So the first two or three hours, I was fine. And they were like, oh, he's going really well. And then I started to feel sick. And then I started to throw up. And I just, at that particular point, I remember thinking that, look, I can keep going. I don't think I'll make it, but I just, mum and dad have flown all the way over here. I've got to make a good attempt of it. And then I just kept swimming and I eventually got through feeling sick. And then the worst part was, I remember really specifically, was probably about halfway into the swim. And I didn't know it was halfway at the time because no one would tell you this because you don't want to have an idea about how long you've got to go. I was starting to sleep in the water. I was so tired because... The night before, I had barely slept, like excited and nervous about the swim. And then I'd been in the water swimming for six hours and I started to started to literally fall asleep in the water. I've had that in a few of my swims and the only way I can really describe that is a feeling of like when you're driving on the road and you get those micro sleeps and like, oh God, I've got to, got to stop the car. And I'm like, well, I'm in the water, I can't stop. And I remember at that particular point in time, I remember I swum through like a, a school of jellyfish and they all stung me and it... And I was so over pain at that point because I was just kind of like mentally exhausted that they just woke me up and it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. So that was able to to probably be my biggest bit of support at that particular point in the swim because I was able to be awake again. And then um, once that happened, I kind of got a, a bit more confidence and thought, oh, God, I'm awake. And because I was really struggling to stay awake and knew that I couldn't, you know, last much longer and, and that, that woke me up. Wow. Okay. And so you... You got through that and then you decided you'd go and this was going to become your thing. Not, 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 no, not, not really. After the first, after that swim, I actually, dad, it was really lucky dad was a doctor. I would have been hospitalized. I had a lacerated throat and we went on a family holiday to Italy and I couldn't eat for about oh, a week and a half. I couldn't eat anything because I'd swallowed so much salt water. It had burned the inside of my throat. And I remember thinking that I was, I was really proud that I'd finished the swim, but at the same point, I really realised how much I disrespected it. And so I think the pain from that swim had really, 
it, it, it taken its toll on me. So I didn't actually, for, for the next year and a bit, I didn't think of anything. But then when I was kind of, I don't know what spurred me on about, I think when I got my first teaching, I was like, I could go back and do something else. And I was looking for other swims that had been done and I wanted to do something more difficult and make sure that next time I did this, I went about doing it the right way. And, and, and then all of a sudden I looked up the North Channel and realised it was from Northern Ireland to Scotland, that, that only 20 people had swum it and only one other Australian had done it. And I was like, well, that's, that's next on my list. So, okay. Yeah. You got through all the pain. You decide you're going to go around again. Yeah. Was it just the challenge? Do you actually enjoy the process? Do you enjoy the swimming? I think I don't enjoy the swimming. People say that to me and I, I get a lot of people on Facebook and it's starting to be a little bit frustrating that ocean swimmers that actually add me on, on Facebook. And, um, and, and obviously it's a sport that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but the people that enjoy it they absolutely love it like if they live and breathe it their facebook that their photo is them swimming on their profile photo their background is another photo and that actually it actually frustrates me i really don't like that because swimming is definitely not my life and swimming is not what has really i love i do enjoy swimming but i don't like the training and i certainly do not live and breathe swimming and i do as little training as possible but what I did realise after that swim was that what I loved about it was your ability as a human being to overcome obstacles that are thrown in front of you and to see how far you can really push yourself. And people say you can, you know, you can push your body through anything and that's the biggest crock of shit ever because I can tell you right now uh, there are just certain things the human body can't do. But you can push yourself to your limitations and I realised that with those limitations that they've taught me so much, not just in swimming, but in terms of how much you can study. And then, you know, as a, when I'm working in the pub and people say, oh, I want to go home at 12, I'm like, well, you can go another three hours. What's the problem? You know, like the problem's our sense of comfortableness and our sense of basically our, our soft side to, to who we are. And swimming taught me to, to utilise the harder side of me and, and you just you see the rewards come in. Yeah, okay. I can really relate to that. So what motivates you to, to train and, and to go into these events now? Well, uh, it's a fascinating thing. Definitely part of it is I think first and foremost it's the challenge. I look at something and think, oh, God, that'll be, it'll be something that I want to go through and I try and think about, about it would be great to do something. And I think that's what, what, what it always is. And I think I try to also try to block what the pain will be because I know what goes in those things and it's quite scary when you when you realize oh shit I'm going to be you know so sore I'm going to be in the water for that long I'm going to be cold it actually is quite a scary thing to be thinking about especially when you're in the water I think that's something that some people take don't take for granted but they you know when you're doing the English channel you're not just doing something that is endurance you're doing something that's at a really cold temperature for a long long time but the thing that, that gets me a lot of the time is I was really fortunate when I did my first swim to raise money for something that was really Close to my heart, my little sister had passed away from SIDS when I was young, when I was three years old, and I remember how much of a toll that played on my family. And so I wanted to raise money for SIDS and kids, and it wasn't. I knew that I would there wouldn't be much money raised, but it was something that I just kind of was passionate about. And we were pretty lucky to raise over twenty thousand dollars. But after that moment, it was like I wanted to to use my swims to kind of support people that really needed support be it and I've supported people that have been going through cancer I've supported one kid that had a really terrible car accident that had to learn to walk and talk again and and then I've supported the kids cancer project and other and and kiss goodbye to MS and other charities that have been 
either really, really special to me or special to my friends or special to some of my students. So there have been the things that when I've been under the gun, when I've been stung or when I've been sick or when I've been tired, that I think about someone that's going through cancer or someone that's lost a parent and you realise that what I'm going through, even though it is hard, it's temporary and uh, and what these people are going through sometimes lasts a lot longer. And so it's a very, very humbling feeling to to realise that people recognise something that you're doing that's that is pretty good, but in comparison to something that someone else is doing, it is very, very minute. Now, okay, so that that gives you a fair bit to to think about while you're swimming, I suppose, and you know, it gives you some of the motivation. But yeah, one of the things that I could never understand about you know, Olympic swimmers and the like is um, the number of hours they spend swimming up and down a pool looking at that black line. But uh, when you're training, you're currently training in a dam outside Armadale, you don't even have the black line to look at. I mean, what do you think about for, you know, for the hours that you're training and when you're doing these events as well? I mean, is it really just a mechanical focus on the, you know, you're focusing on each stroke and, you know, your technique and things like that? Or, you know, do you just go into autopilot and what do you think about for that long? It's a, I get asked that a lot. I think that's the number one question, but I will say currently I'm actually retired from swimming for a while. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not training in the dam at the moment. Oh, come but, on. There's a, there's another winter coming up in Armadale, you know, in a yeah. couple of months. That'd be a great place to train. Yeah. But, um, but no, sorry. I like to pull people up on that because it's, it, it does, it is really hard to think about. And when you, and, and even thinking about training is difficult for me sometimes because I don't like it at all. There's not one time I've been thinking, oh, I'll go for a swim, even when it's beautiful in Balmoral and I'm excited about it. And I envy those swimmers that are, that enjoy training. I don't enjoy it. I think what I think about is when I go for an hour swim in the dam, I have laps that I like to do and, and when I'm swimming strong, I like to give myself, all right, I'll time myself and I go, right, you want to beat six minutes and swim 500 metres in, in in under six minutes or I will go, all right, let's count the strokes and I'll count the strokes for one lap or I'll think about things that I need to do. It's, it's what I have, swimming's been really good for me in terms of organising myself because I've got an hour to work out, all right, when I get out of the water, I need to go to uni. I need to wash my car. I need to do the garbage. And it actually allows me to work out what I need to do for the rest of the day. I mean, that only takes about five minutes, but it's actually five minutes that I can spend in completely just thinking about me and organizing my life. Because you don't, you think about all the things you do during the day. And especially if you're busy, you don't have time to actually think, all right, what, what do I need to do? You just kind of go through the motion. And so it gets me time to organize my day. I think when I'm in a big swim and I know that I don't have anything to think about other than just completing the swim, I kind of, I find it very hard to relax. A lot of swimmers can relax the whole way. I'm always thinking. So I've got a friend of mine that always says to me during the swim, think about me. And I remember it's always like the first thing I think about, but I only think about him because I can only think about him for about five seconds. So to be honest with you, a friend of mine that does these swims, he he's able to meditate and relax his mind. My mind is too alert and too awake. And I think that's one of the reasons why I get so tired. My brain goes everywhere and anywhere. But I suppose the most rewarding thing for me is my dad's on the boat almost for every one of my swims and I look at him and um, I look at him for reassurance a lot of the time. And when he claps or when he puts his thumb up, it it is a huge rush of kind of adrenaline for me and, and it makes me feel great. So I'm kind of very reliant on the boat when I'm swimming and, and who's on the boat and what they're doing and I try and just focus on that. Yeah, it's interesting actually because I've never really thought about um, you know, endurance swimming and 
in terms of the logistics around it and how important the support crew is. But how many people do you have on your, as far as support crew goes? And yeah, obviously the the ones at home, but the ones who come with you and, and how does all that work? Well, it's all very dependent on the captain of the boat. So the captain of the boat dictates what happens on the boat and no disrespect to these sea captains, but majority of the ones I've had to deal with are incredibly stubborn, are very old school and are very, very tough. And that works really well for the swims. And a lot of them are really passionate about what they're doing. So they're, they're not in it for the money. They're in it to actually get somebody across the water and do it as, um, and, and their reputation is based on successful swims. So they really want to do the best for the swimmer. And so usually they will allow, they're very small, shitty boats most of the time as well. And they will allow, I think, anywhere between, I mean, in America, in the Catalina swim, it was a much better boat and they probably would have let me have six or seven people. But the majority of the swims I've done, they've been towards three, four, maybe maximum on the boat. And those four people play an absolutely crucial role. My father, who's been on it most, who's been on almost every swim with me, he, he probably, he's a doctor and I've been very fortunate to have him on the boat because he's able to really, he knows how far I can push myself, but he also knows when I've had it enough. And he also can tell what I need to motivate me and what I need when I need to like kick up the ass. So he's probably the most important person on that boat. Okay. Do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagined they'd be financially at this point in their life. Two, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. We have a nine-step process we take you through, which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you. And finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. How do you go like over that length of time? I mean, how do you go as far as fueling and things like that goes? Are you eating solids? Are you eating what are you eating? Well, oh, it's different every swim. I, I I have a really I can eat almost anything. There's very few things I can't eat, but when I'm in the water, I've got a very very sensitive tummy. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because you know I'm lying horizontally the whole time and my tummy gets affected. But and I also get sick very easily. So. I'd say on maybe 80% of my swims, I've thrown up a lot. I'd even say 90%, almost every swim maybe except for one that I haven't thrown up on. And I throw up terribly. Like it's very, very violent. It's my whole body goes into it. And so I kind of, I try try to drink as many fluids as possible, but sometimes, you know, there'll be the, the protein gels and the gels I'm sure you're experienced with taking with your activities, but those gels don't sit well with me all the time. So 
I try to just sometimes use banana and chocolate and water. I remember the English channel, the captain just changed my whole thing. He did it and I was just eating banana and chocolate and water and that was it for the whole way. So it's just really dependent on how I'm feeling. But I make, I've made sure after every swim that you learn something new and I've learned that I need a variety of foods from apples to to lollies, to chocolates, to sausage rolls, to, to whatever I'm feeling, whatever I can pull down will be okay. Yeah, okay. Given the time frame, obviously, yeah, the, the flexibility is really important too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, and you also, like, you want to try and minimise your stops for, you know, every time you stop, you're, you're getting dragged to the side or getting dragged backwards. So you just don't, you want to try to make sure that every stop's as quick as possible. Yeah, so, so eating and drinking is very, very important to make sure that you've got the fuel to keep going. And it, but I've been quite fortunate as well to be able to swim like for four hours without eating a thing. So I can go a, a fair distance without having any food or water in my system. Yeah, wow. Okay. I mean, you, you've spoken about your dad a bit. I mean, obviously, the, you know, it must be a difficult thing for him to watch you going through so much pain. And, you know, when you make it sound like such a glamorous uh, activity as well with, the, um, you know, with the, the vomiting and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, I'd imagine that um, that's been a really interesting development in your relationship with your dad well it's been i suppose i probably haven't mentioned my mother and given her enough credit either because she's on almost every swim as well but she's a fantastic organizer and a fantastic support person but she's a shocking person on the boat because she's just so emotional and dad actually says to her sometimes go downstairs because mum dad can tell i can read mum's face and mum you know and a few of the swims have been I've been very lucky to make and if I'd seen mum's face, I could tell that she's just, she's just so upset because she thinks I'm not going to make it. And she obviously just wants the best for me and, and so does dad and they go about it both very differently. But, I mean, living in Armidale and it's been a really great kind of relationship with my mother and father because especially since I've been living in the country, I don't get to see them all that often. So when I go on these swims, we spend a week or two weeks together, just my, myself and my mum or my brother when he can't, he's come to a, a couple of the swims and, it's just a really good bonding experience. And I think they realise what I have to put myself through, but they realise the part that they play as well. They play a huge part and they take, I think they take satisfaction out of that as well. I think they know that there is no way I could have succeeded in swimming any of these swims if it wasn't for their support. And it's kind of a great thing to to recognise them for that and to do as a, as a family because I know that there is no way I could have done any of the swims without them. Yeah, wow. Let's go off on a, a different tack now because we, um, before we came on the show, one of the things you mentioned was um, the fact that uh, it's all, you know, some of these swims are all very much dependent on the weather and it can be a really frustrating thing just um, you know, having to, to invest all this time and, uh, and money as well into something that's, um, that is so reliant on the weather. I'm interested, given what your... Um, the fact that this is kind of a sideline and you're uh, you're studying and you're working part-time and things like that, how do you juggle the cost of it? Well, I'm very, very fortunate. When I did the English Channel the first time, I paid for everything and Dad basically said, if you make it, I'll reimburse all the costs. Nice. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure he would have done it if I had if I, if I hadn't made it. But, I mean, I think he wanted me to, to go about doing it myself and to show my independence. And then after that, basically, um, 
I wanted to make the Ocean 7 and I spoke to my uncle and my father. They both own a nursing home and I said, would I be able to get sponsorship through them? And because um, my uncle was always very supportive of my swims as well. And they just said yes. I'm sure my supporting me doesn't bring them any business at all, but I think they like having their son and nephew uh, doing something that requires a lot of heart, a lot of de- dedication, a lot of hard work. And, and supporting that financially because they just know that I couldn't. It's just like a, I, I can't really, I wouldn't be able to do it, particularly at this point in, in my life. And it, when I was a teacher, it just takes such a significant uh, toll on my income that that I'm very, very fortunate to have my uncle and father, basically their their business, yeah, sponsor me. Yeah, wow. And did they have, um, you know, did they have a sporting background themselves, or it's more, um, it's more just about you? No, they, they, I don't know if they disagree with me on this, but no, they, they, I wouldn't say they've got a sporting background. I mean, they love sport and they're both tenacious individuals and good businessmen. I think they definitely respect the dedication, hard work and, and what's involved and can see that in other aspects of life. But no, in terms of actually the swimming background of my family, it came from my mother, my mum. She was a really, really good swimmer. So yeah, not, not my father's side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, what I mean, you mentioned that you're uh, you're basically a retired swimmer at this point in time, unless you know something comes along. Yeah. But I can't imagine that having achieved that, you're just going to kind of park it, not try and find something else that grabs your your imagination. So, what's the next challenge that you're looking at at the moment? Well. The next challenge I wanted to uh, to actually attempt, not next year but the year after, was climbing Mount Everest. I was, it's, it, I've been really fortunate enough to have contact with in these seven swims. Probably the thing you learn about is every single swim I learn something different. I learn how to organise myself better. I learned that you know one swim I got really badly sunburned. I didn't even think to wear sunscreen. You know, I, I learned to use different gels um, on my body that react differently to, to jellyfish things. I used, I, I, I speak to dad and, and talk to him because he's an anaesthetist. So he's able to give me different drugs that help me with nausea and, and pain and falling asleep and all these types of different things that you learn and you become a much better swimmer. Uh, to, to be honest, you become such a better, not a better swimmer, but you become, uh, you become a better warrior. You become a better person knowing what to deal with. Like I honestly could tell you, I reckon that I could do the English channel now after six months of not swimming and they'll be able to do it tomorrow if I got, you know, if I got the right conditions, but purely based on what I've learned and what I need to do. It's an amazing thing to be able to learn and just learn things differently and, and, and adapt yourself. And so, yeah, that's my next challenge, but I'm having a lot of trouble at the moment trying to convince my dad that it would be something that would be worthwhile because he um, is very strongly against it and my uncle will support my dad's point of view. So it might be something that I have to go and look for sponsorship or financially help myself out a little bit. So that's my goal. Yeah, okay. And have you done any um, any mountaineering or anything like that in the past? I've done absolutely nothing. But I spoke to the guy, that one of the guys that runs a business that, that takes people on Everest, and there, it, it wouldn't be like I'd just be climbing the mountain. I'd be moving over to England for three months and climbing mountains in Scotland and attacking other mountains and learning all the equipment stuff. So it's not like you just jump up there and climb the mountain. There's a lot of stuff that's involved that I'd have to do and do in a, in a short 
in a short time span. But he was confident enough to think that, you know, it's not something you're not just being put on the mountain and going, you're climbing Everest. You're doing three months of learning climbing techniques and, you know, it's every day and it's a lot of money and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of sacrifice. So, I mean, that's my plan at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out a way and have to problem solve. Yeah. Okay. Actually, one of the previous guests on the show, um, Steve Jackson, he'd made two attempts on Everest and both times uh, the weather meant that he couldn't get up there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's another thing. You know, imagine spending all that time and that hard work and then not getting an attempt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, he's done a couple of other things apart from that. But, um, yeah, it'd be, be a really frustrating thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So given you're now studying law and um, you're in your final year of that, do you see a career for yourself in law, or is that? Um... I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't see myself in a career in law. I think when the trouble went down a few years ago, I wanted to study, and I, I knew that if I was in a country town, working in a bar and just swimming, that my my mind would be off. And so I've really enjoyed studying law. It's been a real challenge for me to actually work out and to succeed in, but I've been getting through it, and I've had, been lucky to have support. But I would be very surprised if I was a lawyer in five years' time. And so where do you think you'll go? I think at this current point, I've been saving a little bit of money and I would like to do something really simple and just have, I've been really liking or enjoying working in a pub and I would like to kind of do my own little bar somewhere near a coastal town and and just open a bar and, and get a really good chef in and, and just be a maitre d' there looking after people and, and having a chat and, and having a very enjoyable lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, that sounds tough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's yeah, it's a goal of mine that I've had for a while, and I haven't really had any career direction since uh, you know I was teaching, and I, I, I do love teaching. I love, I, I really do love it. But there's not a lot of career growth there unless you really want to be a headmaster or you know go and be a student advisor and that type of thing. And and so I just need something a little bit different. And I know that law is long hours and. It is sometimes doing things that, you know, you, you question whether or not you want to do it. And I've looked at some of the people that enjoy, that, that are really good at their job, but they've let other aspects of their life kind of slide. Yeah, slip. And the things that I really value are, are family and, and having a very, uh, and being happy. And sometimes you get caught up with the ambition to make money and other things. And I think I've been quite fortunate that that hasn't been something that I've been mo- completely motivated by. Yeah, okay. And you haven't thought of the, uh, or you haven't, I'm trying to think, I know, you know some people who've gone and done you know, incredible things like the Ocean 7. You know, they've gone on to the, uh, developed kind of a, a corporate speaking role or um, you know, written books and done documentaries and you know, or even... Uh, kind of an executive coaching kind of uh, business. That's not something that's um, that's of interest? Uh, look, to be honest, it's definitely something that's of interest. Like it, doing this podcast today, like I've really enjoyed it. I, I find that it's speaking to yourself and speaking to a few other people when I've had interviews. It's the only real time I speak about, unless family and friends ask about it, about the swims and things that I've done. And I love cutting out the bullshit that is involved in so much of what we see you know I've seen rugby league players and and people go through similar troubles that I've been through but you know have the basis of relying on a very very heavy salary or 
you know, saying that they didn't know what happened and, and not confronting what's gone on. And that might not be their own personal decision. That might be based on somebody else. And I don't know if my way of speaking is necessarily would toe the party lines because I just kind of am very much about telling it how it is. And I think that it's been fortunate. I've been fortunate enough to, to, to speak to at Rotary Clubs and other places where I can just tailor it my way. Whereas I think if it was to be a, a corporate gig, it might have to be, I don't know, there's been people that have, that have asked me to do it before and they've asked me to tailor it their type of way. And I just, yeah, I, I, I find it difficult to not be me in terms of expressing what's going on and and, just, and not admitting. Because some of the stuff that I've done in the past is uh, people find it difficult to swallow. Yeah. Mind you, I suppose if people are hiring you to come in and talk about you, then realistically they've got to take you as you are you would have thought yeah exactly exactly so you know it's definitely something that I mean I suppose also as well one of my strengths isn't organizing myself it's getting out and doing things and yeah one thing I think I need to do better at definitely in my life is just kind of like all right well you've got this why don't you see what you can do with it whereas uh yes yeah, so I'm, I'm I need direction sometimes <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best at directing myself yeah okay well if you like I um there's a couple of people I've spoken to recently that um I can put you in touch with and you know, they might be able to help with some of those, you know, just give you ideas on what they've done and, and how they've kind of developed those things and um, something may come of it, something may not. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, it just definitely helps to have people's opinions and, and, and ask questions about what they've done. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, to let you go in just a, a couple of minutes, but before I do, one of the questions that I want to ask you is, and something I ask all the, the guests on the show is basically a challenge for the listeners, something that they can do over the next week that um, you know, would make a difference in their life. Maybe it's something that you found has been helpful in, um, you know, in getting through these swims. Maybe it's um, you know, something you've learned from what's gone on outside of that. But um, you know, is there one thing that you could point to that you'd suggest people go and do over the next week that can make a difference in their life? Do you know what? Oh, it's funny you say that because... Every week, I actually write down something that I want to achieve in that week, uh, or you know, it could be a longer term thing in a year. But seriously, it could be as simple as not eating fast food in the week, or it could be as simple as uh, getting up every day and making a bed. Goal setting is a really important part of my life, and I think really that if you have a week's goal, one of them might be, all right, I'm going to go to the gym every day for a week, or I'm going to go to the gym, but I'm actually going to go properly because people go to the gym and talk and procrastinate. I think it's about doing doing something that you know will benefit your life in the week. It doesn't matter how small or big, but as long as it's something that's productive to your life. It might be not drinking till the weekend. It might be not having a cigarette till the weekend. It might be staying an extra hour late every day at work to get yourself in front instead of being behind. But it's definitely setting yourself. And I find that if I give myself three daily goals, and one might be just doing the laundry and hanging it out, one might be tidying up my room, one might be vacuuming the house. I find that I get serious enjoyment out of those tiny little things. And I think that they all add up to the bigger picture. And in the long term, if you're succeeding with those tiny little goals, they help towards make, uh, make you more successful with bigger goals. Well, that's, yeah, it's, that's fantastic. I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? But um, you know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the... Um, you know, in the longer term goals and not actually looking at what you need to do on a daily and weekly basis to actually get there. And it's, as you say, it's just by going through those little steps. 
I couldn't, I honestly couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why like when, you know, people are asking me to speak or things like that. And, you know, I can't stand it when you hear, and I've heard so many public speakers say, oh, look, you can do anything. You know, you can't, there is no way certain people could do a swim that I've done, but there's no way other people, I could do some things that other, like we've all got our own different skill sets. And so, you know, the only thing that I've really learned is that you can push yourself to your own limitations, but don't try and judge yourself of other people. And um, and also you don't need to have drastic goals that are, you know, going to change the world. You just need to have goals that you want to have. And if they are big and drastic, well, good on you. Have a go at attempting them. But it shouldn't be your failure to attempt these things that is, you know, that defines you as a person, but it's your ability to have a go. And uh, if failure comes your way, then so be it. But you had a go. And that's what I find is just so fundamentally important. And it can be something that's so little or something big, but you determine that, not somebody else. Uh, that's fantastic. I don't think I can really add too much to that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I suppose it's just why, yeah, it's just something that's been in my brain forever. And I think it's something that I've been really, really lucky to learn with everything that's gone on in my short life. Um, when you get battered and, and bruised and you have to take a pretty big hit, metaphorically speaking, you just kind of, you kind of realise that life isn't, you become so self-absorbed and you think, oh, everyone's going to look at me a certain way. But really, does that stuff matter? Even if you're on the paper for the wrong reasons, like what really matters is how you view yourself. And, and that doesn't come from likes on a social media site or comes from anything like that. No, I, uh, I couldn't agree with that more. Tom, thank you very much for your time. It's been a privilege talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed it. I still can't fathom swimming for that long. And, um, you know, I take my hat off to to you the fact that you can now one last thing if people want to uh to get in touch with you or um or follow up on anything that they've heard today what's the best way to uh to get in contact with you i have look, i'll be bagging out social media but then i suppose the easiest way to contact me would be on social media so i have um i have my instagram is pembroke's ocean seven it's a public thing i kind of only use it for my swims but it's very easy to find if they Google that. And if they, um, if they want to send me an inbox and, and ask me any question, I would be more than happy to, yeah, talk to them or what, 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 any, any question they've got. <laughs> happy to help out. Fantastic. Also, Dave, I don't know if you've got links there on your, um, on your, with your podcasting, but with my, you've got my email, so if that can be shared around, anyone can email me as well if they, if they would like. I don't know if that's around. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. So if you want to get in touch with Tom, just uh, just hit me up and I'll um, I'll pass on your uh, I'll pass on his um, email address to you. I won't put it out publicly for you, mate. But um, yeah, certainly if someone wants it, they can come and get it. But the other thing I would say as well, if there's anyone that's listening to this that is um, and is a long distance swimmer or uh, wanting advice on long distance swimming, can I tell you that one, the one thing that I did learn about ocean swimming that was completely untrue is that a lot of people said you had to do this amount of training you had to do this you had to do that you had to do that i can tell you right now i did the english channel after training for three weeks it's the biggest load of crap do what works for you and that may that you may need to do all that type of training but if you um but it's an individual thing and you need to you're going to be different to anybody else so work out what works for you and yeah of course training is going to be a big part of it but it doesn't mean that you have to do 30 or 40 k's a week no way. It means you have to train your mind to the way that you think you'll most benefit for it from it. And yeah, so anyone that is thinking about doing that, I just thought I'd pass that on because 
I've seen a lot of people ask me about the English Channel before and going about it and going, you have to swim 40Ks a week. It's full of crap. As you say, there's a big part of us training your mind as much as your body, isn't it? Uh, I'd say 80%. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you got to, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, everyone's different and and uh, and swimming is something that is that is so dependent on other aspects and being brain being one of them is just cold weather being another and all types of different things that it's not just getting in the pool and doing it it's about training your mind not to give up mate thank you i will let you go but thank you very much for your time and thanks for being a guest on uh, on the pursuit of life podcast no worries dave thanks for having me i had a great time yeah cheers tom see you mate Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.